0: Well, I'm going to do something a little different tonight. Um, after we skinned everybody real close Sunday night, I figured we ought to be a little loving. I didn't say a lot. <laughs> but because we've had such a good momentum on Wednesday nights on family and marriage, uh, I think we ought to continue it. And then we had such a, a request in Texas that I teach on Selfish Wives I thought I would teach on selfish wives tonight. But let me me be honest with you. I I set my heart to do it, and I kept defaulting to men because God always deals with leadership first. And so, what I had to do is I had to call Miss Manda. I said, Honey, come here. Let's talk about this. I need your help. Help me see how women can be selfish. Because as a pastor and as a leader, um, I know how the chain of command works, and I'm a firm. It's just my conviction, I think it's biblical, that if there's problems, it's the man's fault. That doesn't mean women are perfect. We know that. Uh, so I actually had to have my help, my wife's help in seeing some things. And then once she could point some things out, because she's a woman and a wife and a mother, then I could put my office on that and, and develop some things. So I'm going to talk about selfish wives tonight. But let me say this. Let Let not a single husband in this place or hearing this recording manipulate this message because if I get wind of it we'll have selfish man part two <laughs> and we'll skin enough hide I don't know we'll make a hot air balloon out of your hide or something so this is not to be taken out of context and to manipulate your wife because some of you are carnal enough to do that in a moment of frustration Oh, Pastor Chris said it you need to go back and listen to that message and he said you's a selfish woman and a Jezebel and this is not the heart of this at all I honestly feel sorry for her. I don't feel sorry for you. You're the man. And if you'd lead like Christ does, you'd have a better wife. So that's just part of it. But I do want to touch on selfishness in our wives. And if you're not married, then this is okay. This gives you something to fix in your life. If you're parenting and you got a wonderful marriage, this ought to help you see how to train your daughters um, and if you don't want to get married, this is just good teaching all the way around and something about it will touch you anyway because some of the selfishness we'll cover tonight doesn't just apply to wives. Selfishness is selfishness whether you're male or female, married, uh, single, divorcee, widowed, etc. So uh, what else do I want to say? Let's, let's also hear the balance behind all of this. Anything we say, any, any solid doctrine of Christ, if we take too far, can become a heresy. So let's hear the balance. Remember, here in the middle of Tennessee, the crowns of our road aren't gentle. <laughs> they're, they're more like a pyramid. And so let's not go down the, that ditch. Let's go down the middle of the road. So let's just stop real quick and talk about what a wife's responsibility is. And this is how we ought to be training our daughters. And this is, if we're single women, how we ought to be equipping ourselves and looking for discipleship. And you've heard me preach on this enough that man was made first. And we jokingly say it, but I believe it's accurate, that the Lord said, all right, now that I've made man, I want to fill in the gaps. And the Hebrew even implies he molded man, but he built the woman. And so when we even stop to consider a woman, she is built, she's not molded, and she is infinitely adaptable depending on who she marries. Even if she marries seven men because they all die, she will adapt to every one of those men to help them, which makes her, a, I think, a finer creation than man. So it's not an insult to say that men were created first and then women were built. It's a statement of spiritual truth and eternal fact. We're made different. Men have the vision, and that's what we want to focus on. Men are the visionaries, and the first thing the woman is called is the help meet, She's not called the visionary. Women were created and built second. And one of their great giftings is their infinite adaptability depending on who they marry. And we've proven that before, that my wife, if I were to die, she would become whoever her next husband needed her to be. Uh, She's not called to be a pastor by herself. So if I were to die prematurely and she remarried, she would be a wonderful doctor's wife. She could be a wonderful engineer's wife, and she would help that man do whatever he's called to do. This is what the church has lost because we're so busy being massaged by the spirit of the world and the American culture, and we want to call it egalitarianism, that we fail to see God's divine design. And so I love my wife. She, she said, I've already been talking to Lydia about this. She said, I said, Lydia, you are a girl. You're never going to be in charge. And she said, and you need to know that, honey, because you're a strong girl. You're a driven girl, but you're never going to be in charge. You're always going to be submitted to somebody, a boss, a professor, your husband one day. You'll never be in charge, and you need to practice being a servant today. Does that offend you? No, it's biblical. And yet there's permission for women to do great and tremendous things. But even me, I'm, I'm the only thing I'm really in charge of is this church and then my family, but I'm submitted to police, I'm submitted to ordinances. No matter whose house I go in, I'm submitted to them. Even if I come to your house, I don't assume you want me to pray over the meal. It's your house. Sometimes you guys say, Pastor, would you pray over it? Sure, if, otherwise I'm not going to demand my way. I don't care who prays over it. Let's just pray and eat. It's, we're not fighting over who prays. Just hurry up and pray. <laughs> but we understand how... Everything of the world system wants to invert God's creation because when you don't follow God's rules, you break things. And can we not see that our culture is horrifically broken? And we think the solution is break more rules. We think the solution is break more of God's blueprint and that'll make things better. Oh, we just haven't broken enough. We'll break it so good it'll come back together again. It's, it's crazy. So women were made to be God's helper, excuse me, man's helper, not visionary. Now, if you're a single mom, you're the visionary you have to be. If you're single, you're a visionary you have to be. But even on the job, unless you own your own company, you're going to be submitted. And even as the company executive, you're going to be submitted to laws, county rules, regulations, tax code, etc., So we got to really drop this whole ideology that I am just going to be me and who are you to tell me what to be. The Bible talks about our wives. They are the governess of our home. And a wise man will see that gifting in his wife because every woman has it naturally. She has the nurturing ability. She has the organizational ability. She likes to make home. This is why they manufacture and market playhouse toys to girls and military toys to boys. Amen. Girls pick flowers, boys kick flowers. If you put a bunch of country girls in the woods, they're gonna take a bunch of logs and build a kitchen and a diner and serve milkshakes that they make out of pine cones. You give the same stuff to boys, they build barracks and the pine cones become grenades. And grenades haven't even been invented yet. These what is that? It's something that blows up when I throw it. And that's 150 years ago, you know, we're just making this up. So <laughs> If you're a wise husband, you see that your woman has a grace to govern your home. She governs it under your authority. And so you're a fool, man, if you micromanage your home. Amen. There's something about a woman who's able to make sure everything is taken care of. There's something about a, a woman that she has in her the God-given innate ability to maintain the menu and know where the kids' clothes are and know how to wash all the clothes and which clothes hang and which clothes don't hang and which clothes go in the dryer and which clothes need to be stopped at this part of the cycle and, and when those kids are going to grow out of that clothes and where's the box of clothes that come out this time of year. and They have a brain for that, and we don't have a brain for that as men. We just, we just really don't. We don't even know what to wear half the time if it weren't for our wives. <laughs> So a wise man gives that to his wife to do is to govern. And so one of your jobs, ma'am, is to govern. All right. So we have to understand these responsibilities and our job assignments by God. We don't want to be like the world. We don't want to be like the Fortune 500 CEO that has a baby through in vitro insemination, fertilization, and gives it to a surrogate womb and then lets a Mexican raise it. Nothing wrong with Mexicans, but how come they're the ones raising your kid? How come you won't even carry your own kid? You're worried about stretch marks? So they want, they've been told that they need three PhDs, two MBAs, and they need to climb, climb, climb to the top of the ladder. But once they get up there, they realize they're not fulfilled. And then they realize, I just want a baby. And so even the pagan, that God thing kicks in and they want family. But they've been lied to by the professor. They've been lied to by Vogue magazine. They've been lied to but lied to by the hypocrisy. So this is washing over all of us as Americans, and it can produce a selfishness in us. We have to be preparing our children to be the next generation of mothers and fathers to fulfill the God-ordained roles that the evangelical church has divorced, trying to be cool and woke. If you didn't know, woke is anti-family. Woke is not just about Dequan getting a fair shakedown when he's arrested for his fifth possession woke is about destroying everything god sanctified marriage family sexuality so we've got to begin to rekindle what the biblical family looks like so that our kids know they ought to see us loving on each other they ought to see us snuggling and kissing and they they I, I, even Lydia right now she got to see her first transgender of course it was at a starbucks and uh I just felt like it was a good moment to teach her. She's old enough now. I said, sweetie, you see that flag on the window? Because they had the big old trans flag. I said, that's a demonic symbol. She said, what do you mean? I said, it represents transgenderism. What's that, daddy? I said, you see that big old fat woman right there? Yes, daddy, that's a man. And she said, well, why does he have ronies? That's what we call bosoms in my home. Why does he have ronies? And I was like, shh. Well, I want to say, well, number one, he's fat. You know, you get too fat, even men get bosoms. Musoms. There's man bosoms. Musoms. So then I get to teach my nine-year-old about hormone treatment. I said, that, that man is probably being doped up on drugs that produce the hormones your body will produce one day so he can pretend to be a woman. And you could see her precious little mind trying to process all this. They're just now starting to understand gay. And now she's trying to understand, but why would a man want to be a girl? I said, because he has a demon. And I said, sweetie, I'm, I'm sorry. This is the world you're inheriting. And she stopped and she said, I hope Jesus doesn't come back before I get to be married and have babies. So I love it that at nine, she wants this. She, what God ordained, because she's not been perverted by public school or TikTok yet because we've been putting the word of God and the kingdom of God in her. She knows how it naturally works. Dogs don't identify as anything but dogs, because they're just smart enough to realize that dog won't hunt, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) So we have to come back and recognize our roles, because God has given us roles. The whole gender reassignment thing, that's to mock God's roles. I don't care how you wanna parse it with your attack on language, your Orwellian redefinition of words, but genders have roles. I cannot breastfeed. I can maybe take a bottle and help my wife if it's 3 a.m. and she's been sick, but I can't breastfeed and I can't pretend to be the nurturer a woman is designed to be. Genders have roles and we're not here to invert or subvert the gender norm. 6,000 years of recorded human histories has worked pretty good so far. Why would we freak show it up in the last five and then call it normal like we've always, always believed this? So I don't, I don't mean to get off on all of that, but that's woke for you. Remember, BLM is not just about Dequan. BLM is really more interested in transgender black lives. So please just don't be a sucker. Don't be pimped by that heresy. I was talking with that a uh, black man from San Francisco and he just said, Here's what the kingdom is about. It's about forgiving and being victorious. I said, that's that's that just summarizes it succinctly. Any any movement, Black Lives Matters woke, is all about unforgiveness and I'm a victim. I curse it to hell. That mocks Christ in the kingdom. You're not a victim. Jesus Christ has made you more than a conqueror. You're a world overcomer. You're as much of a victim as you believe in your own heart. And the world would love to keep you a slave because as you think in your heart, so are you. So if you feel like you're a slave, you is one. But as for me and my house, we're more than conquerors. We're not going to feel sorry about nothing. I'm not apologizing for something I didn't do to anybody. I don't owe you an apology unless I sin against you. So, selfish wives... We cannot forget Proverbs 31, one of the most unprecedented job descriptions in the whole Bible. I don't think a single man could hold a candle to the Proverbs 31 woman, nor could any feminist woke woman today. 17 times it talks about her doing something. She is a busy, driven woman. And yet, here's the key, ladies. She is that, that her man might fulfill his calling. And so then we also have to remember 1 Peter 3, that holy women live a holy, chaste lifestyle that by their lifestyle they can convert their deadbeat husband, not by nagging, not by being a woke feminist, but by a holy conversation coupled with fear, with an inward adorning that is of the sight of God a great great price. And then Titus 2 is what tells us about uh, the governess of her home, that she's the steward over her home. So I really have five areas where women demonstrate selfishness My wife helped me with the first three. Uh, For some of you men, you're going to be disappointed to know sex is number five on the list. That's how men think. We think in reverse. We think sex. If she's not giving me sex, she's selfish. No, there's probably a lot of other things she needs to work on first. And by the way, if that's all you're thinking about, you're probably the problem. Though 1 Corinthians 7 does tell us we don't deprive each other of marital conjugal rights. So number one, the number one area where women have to fight selfishness is in the arena of neediness. And if you're not married, maybe let this be a punch list to work on things in your own life. Neediness. When women still struggle with neediness, they'll never be able, I shouldn't say, I don't don't mean to use these hyper-inclusive words. When women struggle with neediness, it's going to be a great hindrance to their marriage. Um, because when women are needy, they consume all of their husband's energies. And you need to understand, your husband didn't marry you to raise a child. Your husband married you because he wanted to care for a woman, not nurture a child. And. I I love to cuddle with my wife. I like it when she needs me. I like it when I can troubleshoot her wife. But I'm thankful that that isn't 24-7 because I have other fish to fry. And when a man marries a needy woman, he instantly handicaps his calling in the kingdom. Not even ministry calling, just a calling to be a businessman. Because when she needs him, needs him, needs him, she can't function without him. She handicaps and cripples him. And so for single men, I say, don't fall in love with a needy woman. Right. Don't fall in love with a dysfunctional codependent. And there are certain things I'm beginning to add into our hopper for when we counsel folks in pre-courtship counseling and pre-engagement counseling, pre-marriage counseling. Because there are certain things that are really just, they're not going to ruin your marriage, but it's going to make it pretty rough for decades. And I don't think we have the time to waste, so I'm raising my standard. That doesn't mean you have to take your stand, my standard and make it your standard, but I'm all for a higher standard. I think we want that in our cars. I think we expect the next generation of cars to be better, the next generation of phones to be better. We want the next generation of medical science to be better. Why would we not want that in the next generation of marriages? So let's just throw this out there. It's a higher standard. Don't be a needy person and don't marry a needy person. Amen. Amen. When you live as a needy woman, you are anti-Proverbs 31. Because Proverbs 31 introduces the husband. We won't turn there for time's sake because I want to cover all this. It introduces the husband. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. His heart doth safely trust in her. And then we don't see him till he comes home at the end of the chapter. He comes home. He's been sitting at the city gates all day. She walks in. He arises and calls her blessed. He's not been with her all day, and she's been super productive. Do you know why? She ain't needy. She has confidence. She knows how to keep her house in order. She governs the home. She has servants under her. She takes care of her kids. She's making clothes. She's manufacturing belts. She's taking them down to the ships. She's buying land. She's organizing things. She doesn't have to text her husband every 30 minutes to tag up. That is weird. And needy. That is weird and needy. All right, are we clear on that? Husbands want to care for a woman, they don't want to raise a child. I was helping one of our sing- single individuals, and he was dating a girl, a woman, and she was pretty needy and dysfunctional and very clingy. And I said, man, here's the deal. He said, what do you think, Pastor? I said, I think if you marry her, I said, you're going to have to take care of her every day way more than you want to. And I said, are you willing to like have to answer your phone call every 10 minutes because she's so insecure, she wants to make sure you still like her? He said, no. I said, then cut her to the wind and run. And thankfully he did because, man, she was, she was a broken individual. We want to repair people but we don't want marriage to be the thing that repairs them. This is why you maximize your singlehood. This is why you enjoy the gift of being single when you can focus on the things that belong to God. That's 1 Corinthians 7. If you think marriage will fix you, you are deceived. Marriage fixes nothing. Marriage exalts problems. Marriage is a magnifier. It magnifies strengths. And every weakness you never knew you had because you were too afraid to look. So men, don't marry a needy woman. Women, identify if you're single quickly, your neediness, and fix it. So this is our first area where women are selfish. They are needy. We, as we covered uh, under this header, Genesis 2 says you're a helper. You're not a needer. He didn't say, and I shall make him a need meat. He said, I shall make him a help meat a helper comparable to him. He didn't say, I will make him a thorn in his side that will text him every 10 minutes and wonder why he hasn't called in five. And wonder why he took so long coming back from the grocery store and wonder why he had to work an extra hour of overtime and wonder why he was on the phone so long with his mama and wonder why he wanted to go hunting for the first time in three years and wonder and wonder and wonder, whoo, whoo, whoo. You need to sniff that out before you fall in love. If everybody around you can look at him or her and say they're weird, do you think that's going to get better? Remember my Carhartt story? If it smells bad (laughs) in cold weather... If it smells needy and weird in cold weather, what shall the heat do to it? If you be tired in the day of peace, what shall you do when the river rises? If you be tired racing men, what shall you do against horses? If she's weird and needy and you're just dating, what will marriage be like but a death sentence? An albatross. (laughs) And marriage is forever, baby. We don't divorce because she's weird or needy. Yeah. This is why I drag my feet on marriage and I upset people. I just wish some of my pastor friends would be honest to God about what goes on in their private counseling sessions because if they were half, a, half as smart as they say they are, they would recognize the destruction they bring when they allow people to get married real quick. He that hastens with his feet sins. Strong conviction of mine. It's also a proverb. You are the support, women, wives. You are the support that allows your husband to go to the front line. And if you're always needing him, he can't ever go to war. New wives have to work this out because they just want him there all the time. And they've daydreamed for so long for their prince charming. And now they're upset that they're back from the honeymoon. He has to go to work. It's called reality. They want you to work 40 hours a week? Honey, that's a light week. I don't know. Well, Remember when you said you wanted us to do a vacation this summer? Yeah, this pays for that. So young wives have to sort this out, especially if they are a little emotionally clingy so that they can understand their role. My wife said when we were first married, probably first two years, Of course, we weren't just married. We were pastoring. I was working at the zinc mine. We had a lot of stuff going on, fighting a lawsuit. So I wasn't around as much as she maybe had wanted me to be. Probably, uh, she probably, in all fairness, we were probably robbed of a decent first year, but it's how God worked things out, and we've been compensated for it, but we didn't have a normal first year of marriage. Because we got married, and then the next day, actually the week after we came back from the honeymoon, I started a new job, and then a month after that, we started pastoring the church. So you got a new wife, a new job, and a church. And then, and then that's how you start your first year of marriage. But she was feeling neglected and feeling like maybe her role wasn't as important. And the Lord spoke to her and said, he spoke very supernaturally to her, and she's not one that hears supernaturally like maybe a minister might appear to But she said, the Lord spoke to her and said, who do you think kept the city going when David went off to war? It's all the wives. And listen, when the men went off to war, it wasn't like they were back at dinner time. The Bible calls times of war seasons because they'd be gone for months at a time. You don't lay siege over weekends. When you lay siege to Gaza, you're there for months till you starve them out. Well, who's back taking care of Jerusalem? All the women. Who's harvesting the crops? The women. Who's caring for the babies? The women. Who's making sure the treasury's taking care of? The women. And that set her free to realize, yeah, I got an important role back here. You are the support, wives, that allows your husband to be at the front line. You allow your man to sit at the gates of the city. If my wife was a needy woman, I wouldn't be able to pastor. If my wife was insecure, I wouldn't be able to pastor. If my wife was paranoid about all my texting, as some girls are, I would not be able to pastor. If my wife was insecure with me meeting with women in private, which I do, but always in appropriate settings, either the conference room, or if I don't know them, I meet with them here in the sanctuary where the cameras are, or most of the ladies I trust because we've been family for so long, I just meet with them in my office, and my wife is underneath us, and the doors are open. If my wife was insecure, I wouldn't be able to pastor. But it's because my wife is secure and strong and not needy, I can go to the front line and do what we're called to do. So when a woman becomes selfish in this arena, she cripples her man's ability to do what they together are called to do because you're only as strong as your weakest member. Now, again, we're not trying to beat any woman up, but I want you to see how the kingdom is designed to work. We're supposed to put 10,000 to flight, but that's with two of you working together, not one of you falling back needing to be held constantly. Women ought to be able to say, go, honey, go get them. Don't you worry about this house or these kids. We'll be here. You go do what God's called you to do. It's just a season. We'll see you in three weeks. That's something to aim for. (laughs) About five or six years ago, we were out in Iowa, and the Lord spoke to me and said, you're about to enter into an intense season of travel. And that began about three or four years where we probably went overseas four or five times a year for three or four years in a row. And I sat there in August in Iowa, and I said, yeah, I can see it. So I leaned over to my wife, and I said, honey, I think I'm about to start traveling a lot overseas. She said, okay, how much? I said, two or three weeks at a time. And she looked at me, and she said, no offense. I can run this home without you. (laughs) So that's not a problem, but you make sure it's God, because we need you to come home to us. I said, this is downright sexy, I think. I'm like... (laughs) What time is it? I wasn't offended a bit. I know she can run the house. I don't have to worry about where my kids are going to be or whether mommy's at home crying in a mess of tissues and worrying. I thank God, because it makes me stronger. I married a woman to care for, not raise. I want to care for. I want to protect her. I want to guard her. I don't want to have to be a daddy. I ain't her daddy. I'm her husband. I'm her best friend. I'm her lover. I'm not raising her. Never marry a woman you got to raise. Don't marry a woman you got to finish raising. Don't marry a woman you think you got to fix. Some people are just addicted to always rescuing. Don't, don't marry a rescue. Oh, I can fix them. I know I can. No, you can't. Mom and dad gave up. Women, you are the governess of the home, so keep the home so he can go off to war. Two can put 10,000 to flight, but that's only if you both do your role. And if he's always having to come off the front lines of work, off the front lines of the mission field. I've been on mission trips where I saw husbands constantly have to call home to comfort mama. I'm sure you've seen it, Pastor Brett. I, I... you just want to grab that woman and say, do you not realize the honor God has given to your man to, to give him the money and safely transport him to Uganda or Iceland or Ireland or Zimbabwe or Thailand or Chile or Poland? And he's, God's called your man to preach the gospel and he need, you need to touch from him every 35 minutes. Do you realize this phone bill is going to be a grand? He's going to have to work overtime when you get home and that's going to make you even more jealous. Oh, Lord, a mercy. <laughs> yeah. So for a woman to overcome this, she needs to demonstrate confidence. Wives, women, sisters in Christ, you need to be confident in Christ. You need to have a work ethic, a work ethic. Disney lied to you. Prince Charming is not going to come by and sweep you off your feet. The American woman wastes too much anyway. He break his back and the horse. He'll come along and just he get pulled off the horse and the horse say, Lord, a mercy. (laughs) So we've got this vision that he's just going to sweep you off your feet. You're going to marry a doctor and just sit and do what the rest of your life? You know, reality to that. The Proverbs 31 woman is your standard. You aim for it. It's a high standard. But bless God, you just keep aiming for it the rest of your life. Because if the Bible says it's possible, then you can do it. Why would you not aim for that? And that was the queen's words to Solomon. She was telling her son, don't settle for anything less than this woman. Why would any man settle for anything less than a Proverbs 31 woman? If Queen Bathsheba, who wasn't born again, didn't have the Holy Ghost, told her son who would never be born again because you couldn't be yet to expect nothing less than this in a wife, why would we as born-again believers expect anything less out of our lives? Why would a man marry anything less than a Proverbs 31 woman? Why would a woman in Christ aspire to be anything less than a Proverbs 31 woman? Number two. Actually, let me finish. Confidence, work ethic, stability. Women need mental stability. You have to learn to get a hold of your emotions. I think I told you Sunday, me and the girls were watching football or hockey or something, and there was a commercial for bipolar medicine, and I just took it as a daddy moment. I said, girls, you know how I work with you on your emotions? Yes, daddy. I said, that drug is for people who were never taught to get a hold of their emotions. I didn't go into all the science of manic depressive and bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, the big three, and ups and downs and, and what all that meant. I said, the ultimate result is you need medicine to control something. Daddy's teaching you how to control right now. Now, my boy, I don't have to do it. He's a boy. His emotions are either go, 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 or mommy, hold me. That's the only two he's got right now. My girls, holy smokes, they're all over the place. And I'm strict with them. <laughs> but I'm teaching them. We're just taking out the slack. And I let them know it's okay to cry now or you better dry that up. Then we start parenting everybody's parent. Making, I will give you something to cry about. You, th- you think this is bad? Woo! Mental stability. Pastor quo. a wonderful sermon when he was still alive with us about home training. Women need home training. Boy, that sounds misogynistic, doesn't it? Somebody got to take care of the home. Single men know how to. I'm really shocked at how many women don't know how to. Is that the result of feminism? We're empowered now because our house looks like a dump. Macaroni that's green trash cans overflowing and that now you just open the cabinet and just throw trash under the cabinet because the trash can's full. We have to raise our daughters with home training. By four, your kids ought to be able to empty the dishwasher and put their own clothes in the dirty clothes. Our African friends here, you know how it is. By four and five, African children are fetching wood and buckets of water on their head. By ten, they know how to raise the family by, by five and six, they can kill a chicken, cook it. You know, our kids by five and six can't even spell or speak correctly. We blame it on sugar puffs. It's not sugar puffs. It's poor parenting. Oh, it's their vaccinations. No, the mercury doesn't do that. Poor parenting does. So we need home training. <laughs> Women also need endurance and grit. They need a When we're raising our kids, we need a good old-fashioned every once in a while. Suck it up. Get out there. You're not quitting. Here's some grit. Do it it again. I've taught my girls, and I'm sweet with them. You've seen how I am with them. All right, girls. Does crying make you better at this? No, Daddy. What makes you better at this? Practice. So what are we going to do? Practice. Get out there and practice harder. Grit. Just a coddled generation of just I fear for what the next generation of kids is going to look like based on these TikTok-influenced coddlers. Maybe it's better off this whole generation's sterilized. (laughs) It's what the government seems to be aiming for. Just neuter them all. All right, number two. The number two area wives can be selfish. And please, Don't take any of this out of context and abuse your wife verbally or try to manipulate because I will hear about it and I will skin you alive. I might even do it publicly. We're trying to help our wives and our single sisters and us parents who are raising the next generation. This is one from my wife. She has observed this in our own church. The mindset of us four and no more. The mindset of a wife, a mother, to only worry about her family. Now that I have my man, now that I have my babies, I don't want us to be involved with anything else. This is anti-Genesis 2.8 and 2.15, which says God planted a garden, put a man in there. Then he added a woman and said, keep intended. Because once you get married, you're not married just to go home. We used to see it, it was a plague. We used to see folks come to church, single folks come to church, meet their mate in the garden of God, fall in love in the garden of God, Get married in the garden of God, then abandon the garden of God. Why would you abandon the thing that had pro- prospered and benefited your entire life up until then? And so we might call this being the hyper governess. You just want to take care of you. I got, I got my man. My God answered my prayers. He gave me my man. He gave me my babies. And that's all I need now. Why would you stop? You'll start to lose everything God gave you When you neglect his kingdom. So I add this that the house of God cannot be neglected. Because we have observed mamas, wives, be so hyper concerned with their family, they won't let their husband come serve in the house of God. You need to be home. I don't need you. You don't need to be up there working. Why do you have to be up there working? Because the house of God needs it. That's a selfish us for no more. You ought to be honored that your man wants to go help build the house of God because there's a blessing in it for your house. We've taught you that. Lester Summerall said it for years. As long as you build God's house, he'll always take care of yours. But if all you do is worry about your house, you'll never have much of one. Our lives are richer when we share them with others. So typically that's us for no more is you don't want to have anybody come over. You don't want to open up your house. You, you've gotten all you ever needed from God. You, you hit the punch list by 30 and now you just introvert. That's not right. That's selfish. And so what you end up doing is you end up limiting your husband. You, you cut your kids off from wonderful influences and it is a selfish fear-based motive. Because all along... You've been saying, I don't really trust God. I just need him to give me. And if he'll give me a husband, that'll make me secure. And then if he'll give me some babies, that'll make me secure. And then if he'll give me my dream home, that'll make me secure. And now that I have the things I think I need to be secure, now I'll be secure. Now I don't need anything else from God. And that's a really weird fear-based mindset And and it's going to affect or try to get on some of us. We want to make sure we're mindful that if we meet in the house of God, fall in love in the house of God, marry in the house of God, we stick around and we build the house of God. And then we teach our babies how to continue laboring in the house of God because the house of God is where it's at. This is the garden of God now. This is where the tree of life is. This is where God walks with us in the cool of the day. And then we take it home with us and we come back here to be refreshed. There's nothing God is doing in the earth that He's not doing apart from the local church. So, why would you leave it because you're enjoying your middle class prosperity? Have you not seen how quickly that can plummet even in this nation? We open our homes and lives to win the loss. We open our homes and lives to let our light be seen. We open our homes and lives to teach others how to be like us. We have no permission from God to live in a little hermit kingdom like North Korea. We have no permission from God to come in late and leave early and scurry home with our kids and make them weird hermits too. We ought to teach our children, hey, this is the house of God. This is where your friends are. Go, go. I don't want to see you. You're safe here. This is like the old neighborhood when I grew up. Go, I don't want to see you for another five hours. I grew up latchkey. Like my parents went to work. I was 10. My brother was seven. We stayed home all summer long without parental supervision. We rode our bikes all over the place. We went shopping at Walmart, played with toys, kept the receipt, took them back a week later, traded them out for new toys. (laughs) We did that. Boy, I worked that system. I had so many toys every summer. Then I got to where my brother, I could trust him on Kingston Pike, excuse me, Campbell Station. I said, all right, I'm not driving. I'm not riding the bike. He's seven or eight. I said, you take it. You exchange it. For what? I think there was a cool dino toy on the other aisle. Here's the receipt. Tell them you don't like the toy. They won't ask questions. Trust me. And let's bring the dino back. We'll play with that. So then I was sending my eight-year-old brother out to go down the busy road to the Walmart to work our racket. <laughs> That's what you get when you don't take care of your kids. <laughs> so here you can do that in the house of God. You have to say, hey, go play with your friends. Mom and dad are going to talk with our friends for the next hour. I don't get Some of you don't fellowship with us outside of service time. What's your deal? What's in you that doesn't like what's in us? What's in you that doesn't like fellowshiping with what's in us? What's in you that's afraid to have dinner with what's in us? What's in you that's afraid to have fellowship with the light that's in us? You got to ask yourself that. Why are you eager to fellowship with coworkers and classmates who are pseudo pagans, but you don't want to have us over for dinner, or your or your care deacon, or etc. Weird. Us four and no more. We open our homes and our lives, and it makes us richer. It blesses us. We share our lives. That's part of how the church is built in the book of Acts. And they were daily fellowshipping and going from house to house and breaking bread. It's the book of Acts. None of it was on social media. Somebody, I said, nothing good's come of social media. They said, well, I met this pastor on social media. I met my spouse on social media. I went, oh, I'm I'm sure the Holy Spirit was waiting for social media to come along so he could do his work. What did God ever do for 6,000 years before Zuckerberg, a little pervert out of Harvard, made up this thing called social media? How did God ever get his people together before there was social media? I'm, I'm sure the Holy Spirit is so thankful. Oh, finally, a pagan listened to me and created something that I could do my work with the kingdom in. <laughs> it's pathetic. I just happen to believe in a God that shows up when people are on their way to Damascus, not scrolling or trolling through Facebook. <laughs> Two are better than one, the Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes 4 9, because they have a good reward for their labor. So as a wife, you ought to be helping your husband to labor for the kingdom. You ought to be helping your kids to labor. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. It isn't about a hermit kingdom that's us for and no more. So a woman needs, to counter all of this, a woman needs faithfulness to God even after marriage. A woman needs self-confidence to be around others. A woman needs the gift of hospitality to open up her home. A woman needs a desire to build God's house more than her own house. Proverbs 14.1 says, A wise woman buildeth her own house, but a foolish woman plucketh it down. One of the ways you can pluck your own house down is by neglecting the house of God. Uh, if you remember the prophet uh, Haggai said, w- Is it a time to go build your fancy house while my house lies in ruins? And he said, you, you earn wages to put it in a bag that has holes in it. And when you go out to your field, you bring it home and I blow upon it. Why? Because you prosper yourself. You build your house and you leave my house in neglect. There are wives that would prefer their husband to be home with them, even if it hurts them, because it's us four no more. And that's not acceptable in the kingdom. So let's judge ourselves and see where that might be. You ought to be raising your children to live for the kingdom, to meet their mate in the kingdom of God, to serve the kingdom of God and raise their babies in the kingdom of God. This thing is a perpetual promise from generation to generation. And your children will be in the house of God if they see you in the house of God. Actions speak louder than words. Reverend Ray Bench taught us years ago, what you're doing is so loud I can't hear what you're saying. Kids want to be just like their parents. And if they see you talk a big talk but don't walk a big walk, your talk is cheap. They're going to follow in your footsteps. They're not going to parrot your words. So is it a time to build your own house while God's house lies waste? What greater honor than to let your husband come build the house of God? My wife is not very sentimental, which is good. Sometimes I maybe wish she was a little bit more. I can't tell you how many birthdays we've missed, how many Valentine's days we've missed. She don't even really care about it. I'm actually very blessed she don't care about flowers because it saves us money. <laughs> but you got to be able to maybe loosen up a little bit. Don't ever say, oh, honey, you can't go out of town and you can't take that mission trip. That's our anniversary. You're just going to cuss and scream at each other on that trip anyway. It is moronic to think you can save your marriage with a vacation. It's deception to drop three grand, go out of town on a week, think you can salvage that dumpster fire. You fix your marriage every day. Honey, you you can't go up there and work. we we got an anniversary coming up in three weeks. Well, let's work until the anniversary, go out on a date, and then get back to work. Amen. All right. Number three. The number three area where women tend to be selfish. This one also comes from Miss Manda with a little bit of my verbal tweaking on it. Insubordinate or independent of the authorized vision. Insubordinate or operating independent of the authorized vision. So what does that mean? That comes back to our misogynistic statement from the Bible that the man was made first and then the woman and the woman was called the helper. Now this is where I'm going to I can already feel some tension and that's all right. Just just hear me out because we go with the Bible here. I told there was a meme I saw that makes me laugh. I said it said I'm not misogynistic. Misogynistic, misogynism is wrong and being wrong is for women. When you get married to a man of God, he has a calling, whether it's to be a businessman, to, to be a deacon, to be an usher, a ministry helps expert, a preacher, missionary. And so we're, we're raising the standard. We're not living like TikTok Americans. We're not living like Facebook women. All right, Flush all that. It's total malarkey and trash. We're going to talk about that here in a moment for a minute. We're talking about the kingdom and the kingdom precedents. When you marry a man, you marry a calling. That's where God operates is through that assignment. God speaks to the head. You study the story of Jezebel, neither God nor a prophet ever personally addressed Jezebel. They always rebuked the king. They always spoke to the king. They always threatened the king because God deals with the head and the woman is not the head unless she's a single mom. Or she's a Deborah and the man is a coward. All right? And, but here's the deal. If he's in the home, God's going to deal with the man. With the deal of Deborah, Barak was in Kadesh Neftali, which was the uh, city of refuge. So God's dealing with Deborah because she's the one left holding the bag. She's been abandoned. Jews teach that Barak was Deborah's husband. So we'll just assume that's the case. That is the, um, uh, one of the Talmud's teachings. So when you marry a man, you marry his assignment. That's why women have to be so ad- adaptive. Just like Miss Bobby, if Pastor Brett were to pass away, she'd probably come back stateside, remarry, and adapt herself to whatever that man's calling was. That's not second class. That's the kingdom. If that offends you, you're too baptized in feminist pickle juice, and it'll make you miserable. All right? So you have to ask yourself, what is your husband's vision? That also means, men, you better have one that's bigger than sex tonight. Because some shallow, hillbilly, grunting, snorting men, all they think about is getting off of work so they can go home and have sex. If that's your vision, grow up. You're not even living for Friday. It's pretty shallow. But for a woman to operate independent of her husband's vision, that violates Ephesians chapter 5 and Ephesians, uh, Colossians 3, which both say, wives, submit to your own husbands in the Lord. So what is the vision God has given your husband? And hopefully he's been apt at communicating it because your existence is to come along him and help with that vision. Now that also means husbands, if you don't have a vision and you don't communicate it, your woman is not able to fully tap into all of her graces and giftings. And your calling and your vision has got to be bigger than let's just make it to this weekend. Let's just make it to the vacation. Let's just make it to the holidays. Let's just make it to we can get this car paid off and get us another one. Your vision's got to be bigger than that. That's poverty mindset. So, men, you've got to have a vision because your vision and your gifting will activate things in your wife that God put in her. So she's looking to you to have a good vision, one that is more than five minutes of sex and maybe vacation at the holidays. She wants to know the five-year plan, the 10-year plan, the 20-year plan. And then if you're wise, everything you do every day is marching towards those plans. Possum Holler, Cookful, and TikTok America looks forward to the next upload, the next like, the next video posting, and the next paycheck. That's shallow existence. But any woman that operates independent of her husband's vision is selfish. My wife and I were discussing this. She said, honey, she said, you know, I couldn't start a business without your permission. I said, you're right. She said, I don't even have hobbies without your permission. And I said, you're right. You're right, she said. And then she starts thanking me for the things that I let her do. But at the same time, lest that sounds cavemanish, I said, well, honey, I don't go caving unless you give me permission to. Honey, I don't go backpacking or deer hunting without permission. I always check in and say, Honey, are you okay if I go camping this weekend? Or Usually, I don't tell her this weekend. Like In three weeks, are you okay if Schmidt and I go camping? Honey, I'm thinking about taking Lydia deer hunting. you okay if we do that Saturday morning? What's on the calendar? So I submit to her. Even in my own life, I don't get hobbies that she doesn't approve of because she has things that she does as the governess that my decisions can disrupt what I've delegated to her. So there's this beautiful subjection one to another. Even as the leader of our church, I don't just come in and disrupt departments because I can. That's stupid. I come in and if I've given you authority over the children's department, over the youth group, I want to come in and operate under the authority I've delegated to you. A fool wouldn't do that, but a wise person will. You've got to make sure your husband's vision is communicated and everything you're doing is lining up to helping him fulfill that thing. And when you do that, you'll activate graces you didn't know you had. Starting your own business when it's not part of the vision doesn't activate graces, it activates pride. We're not against women having businesses, but you gotta make sure it's in line with the house vision. Because what if it takes time and money away from something your husband's trying to do? Let me just say this, most of these female-run ministries right now are illegitimate. They were not started with their husband's permission, they were not in line with the husband's vision, and you can tell by the way they talk about their husband and run him down, that the thing is illegitimate. And really it's just m- mostly just like a Jezebel kind of thing, trying to feel important. His vision takes the team of you to accomplish. You are his assigned helpmeet. You are his assigned helpmeet, so you better make sure you're sticking with the vision. This also includes your career choice. Just because you have a degree doesn't mean you go off and take the first job that pays you six figures. We don't chase money. So you submit your career choice. How about spending? Your husband probably, I don't know, some women are better at money. My wife is better at money than I am. I build the budget. She manages it because she's really good at it. But some wives, their, their reputation is they bankrupt their home. Not every woman. Some men are the problem. Some men, they just want to buy guns and toys and cars and they hurt themselves. So you let mama run the money. But Submit the spending to your husband's vision. All right, we're trying to advance the kingdom here. What about the house vision? As a wife, you operate under his oversight. So you adjust the house for him. If he wants things done a certain way, what's the big deal? But at the same time, men, don't micromanage your home. Let her set up her systems. Just follow the rules. My wife tells me, put stuff here. I want stuff done like that. Whatever you want, honey. This is your domain. I don't like that color. Let's change that color. And I don't like it this way. We, after so many years of marriage, you fall into your groove, and things run smooth that way. And I don't mess with her stuff, and she doesn't mess with my stuff. I change oil. I do the yard stuff. I make sure the deck's taken care of. You know, we, I, I care for house pay, uh, uh, repairs. She does her thing. I do all the vacuuming. She does all the laundry. Because if I do the laundry, it all goes in. It goes in super hot with a lot of bleach and a little bit of Clorox and color. And and when we throw it in the dryer, because that's how I did it as a single man, it worked good for 15 years. Why would I change now? Because you'll wear the kids' clothes out. They're going to outgrow them before I wear them out. What do we care? Those are my delicates. Honey, they don't stay on you very long anyway. What does it matter? (laughs) So men, submit to your wife's systems that she's established and don't undermine her. If she says, honey, this is the way we're eating, eat it. Honey, I'm trying to get us in shape. Submit. Quit quit undermining her. She's trying to do her governess thing. But at the same time, let me help you wives. Get off of social media. It's not helping you. Now, You've never heard me say that, not in 10 years, but I keep saying it because maybe somebody will hear it. I have said, never marry a man addicted to porn. So now when we meet with young people, we say, you're looking at porn? Sometimes it's the first time they hear that because I'm going to tell the girl, don't marry him. Not until he gets this porn thing taken away because porn is adultery because Jesus Christ, remember him? Red letters, Matthew 5. Right after the Beatitudes, Sermon on the Mount, any man that looketh on a woman to lust has committed adultery with her in his heart already. So, adultery is instant, excuse me, pornography is instant adultery even on your honeymoon. So, I don't counsel people to marry a porn addict. I would not counsel them to marry a drug addict. I would not counsel them or permit, I wouldn't do the marriage if it was an alcoholic. I said a couple months ago, I wouldn't allow you to marry a gaming addict, someone who's drunk in love with games. One preacher friend of mine, his daughter ended up having to divorce her husband because he so neglected her for his video games. Can you imagine being so possessed of your video games, you fall into the state of abandonment? And he was telling me very personal details, but she called him up. She said, Daddy, he doesn't even want to have sex with me. She said, what, what 30-year-old man isn't interested in sex? Attractive girl. All he wants to do is play these video games. Video games de- destroyed their marriage. I would never permit my daughters to marry a gamer. And I would never permit my son to marry a woman on Facebook. Now, why, Pastor? Well, because women today have spent 10 years on social media. Fifteen-year-olds are now 25. Twenty-year-olds are now 30. They have been totally discipled and rewired by social media. And all the research is out there in spades. And it totally rewires the way people think and perceive value. Women are affected by social media way different than men are. Women are, have been trained like Pavlov's dog. The old psychological experiment where you'd ring a bell and then give the dog a treat. You ring a bell, give the dog a treat. And before long, the dog begins to associate the bell ringing with the food. You could stop giving the treat, ring the bell, and the dog's mouth would salivate. That's called psychosomaticism. The power of the suke, the soul, over the soma, the body. You could train a dog to salivate and get hungry just by ringing a bell. Women have been conditioned that way now through social media. Your value system is now chasing people who aren't real, Everything's about posting a like. And now women find their acceptance through an interaction that is digital. Men don't treat you this way. There's no reality. When you try to look to your husband to give you hearts and likes and thumbs like your weird non-existent friends in the metaverse, you're gonna destroy your marriage. Women, I I, I just dubbed this today talking to my wife, social media is mental porn for women. And if I wouldn't permit my daughters to marry a porn addict, why would I permit my son to marry a porn addict? Because the neuroscience proves that pornography affects the reward center of the brain, whatever that little thing is there in the middle, just like social media likes do for women. And the overstimulation of it actually shrinks it. And for both a porn and the social media interaction, it is more addictive than cocaine or heroin because it releases the dopamines. So now we're dealing with 27-year-old women who've been on this for 10 years. They think this is what a relationship looks like and that is a pipe dream. So I would not counsel any of our men to marry women who've spent 10 years on social media. Don't do it, it will not go well. That doesn't mean we can't do some reparative discipleship, but number one is get off of social media. Because unfortunately, bless these little girls' hearts, they're trying to be like supermodels who don't even look like the filters. And now you even have digital filters that you can, even a video is filtered so it removes wrinkles and blemishes and 20 pounds. You're trying to be like your friend who doesn't even look like that in real life. So your self-esteem, which has already discredited you in these other four points, is in the tank. And you're going to marry a man and think he can fix you? You're headed towards destruction. Men and women use social media differently. And these algorithms root out your weakness and just play it to you over and over and over and over again. So social media, you heard it here first. Mental porn for women. Emotional porn for women. Affection porn for women. Acceptance porn for women. Validation porn for women. Women... Respond to affection and affirmation. Men respond to sight. And it's not a tool. Tools don't wake you up at 3 a.m. to tell you to come look at me. Nobody ever got addicted to a hammer. Nobody got addicted to a hammer to see what the screwdriver was doing. All right. Number three. I'm sorry, number four. We have two more, and we're about done. These these will be a lot quicker. Number four, I hear this a lot. I just need me time. Women can be selfish by saying, I just need me time. I just need me time. I just need me time. Okay, I get it. Women need a break from their kids. Husbands, please, let your wives have the breaks that you get. Tell the wife, hey, honey, go out with the girlfriends. Give me the kids. Me and a couple rolls of duct tape, we got this. (laughs) Amen. Hey, we'll just put them in the trampoline. I'll put a lock on that zipper gate. We're good. I'll throw them some snacks over the top. They get thirsty, just hose them down. Can we come out, Daddy? No. When's nap time? Now. <laughs> your wives do need me time. They need girlfriend time. All right? That's the balance. Often, probably, husbands are too selfish. They don't give their wives that me time, that escape, that, honey, here, here's 50 bucks. Go get a Medi and a petty and whatever. Do your toes and your fingernails. Get your hair done. I don't know if 50 bucks covers it anymore. I don't know. I buy cheap razors and do everything with bar soap. So I, I think it's a little gay to get your toes done anyway. Shame on any of you men, Frank, for ever having your toes done. You come in here with gold and yellow toes, even if it's Oregon. I'll take a hammer to every one of them. <laughs> Give your wife some me time but there's the other ditch which is I need some me time I need some me time that's social media weird I just need some me time I just want to bless myself I just want to treat myself Come on I just want to treat myself and ble- Now you got responsibilities woman You got children you got a husband you got a house you got a job you got a degree How much me time do you need I'm just trying to discover myself get born again why is this about you? It's humanistic. You don't need to discover yourself. Meet Jesus. And then he'll teach you how to crucify yourself. Once you're dead, you ain't got to find yourself. <laughs> Crucified. Where, where am I at? The last place we hanged you. That's where you're at. That includes hobbies. I, I'm thankful my wife does submit everything to me. She says, honey, you care if I go for a run? Yeah, honey. I may be gone two hours. I don't care. Go for a run. I can handle these kids for two hours. I mean... Right? I can handle these kids for two hours. <laughs> is, there something I don't, is there a reason you want to go run for two hours? There's something at the other end of the house I don't know about? We're still submitted in our marriages. How much me time do you need? Because some folks are convinced they need about 30 hours a week of it. And that's not reality. Amen. So uh, don't be selfish with your me time. But again, husbands, give your wife the me time. And then, of course, number five is the sexual neglect and here's what you have to do. You've got to be able to judge that situation, men. Why is there sexual neglect? Women are tender. They're emotional. They don't want to fail. Maybe uh, there's a lot of different reasons why sexual neglect enters in. If you're treating her like a dog, she's not going to want to be intimate. If you're rude to her, she's not going to be intimate. If you're always coming to bed smelling like a goat, she's not going to want to be intimate. I mean, it, some of you guys, you don't bathe enough. You smell rancid. <laughs> I went to kiss Miss Manna this morning. She was making dinner for tomorrow night, and she just opened a thing of chili powder. I went, Mmm, honey, you smell like B.O. It is so fine because <laughs> you smell the chili powder. Now, women don't want to smell that on you. Maybe they're, they're neglectful because of trauma in the past. That has to be resolved. Now when we do pre-marriage counseling, I bring that up. Is there any sexual trauma here? Because that is going to hurt your marriage down the road. It will come up if it's not dealt with. So let's be compassionate. Is there insecurity? Um, Lots of times women, after they've had babies... Uh, issues aren't the same. Maybe they're insecure, their body's different, doesn't look as good, things are painful, things are uh, touchy-feely, they, and, and there can be some failure. And all it takes is a couple failures, and all of a sudden it gets in your head, just like a kicker in the football game misses three punts in a row, it's going to be in his head. And all you have to do is have some unse- uh, unsuccessful sexual encounters, and all of a sudden it's going to be in your head, and you're going to be afraid. These things you don't force, you don't mock you have to use tenderness and walk them out and we pray not to be spooky we don't make sex spooky but God invented sex it's blessed in the confines of marriage only we pray and get the favor of God and the help of God on our sex life amen we pray these things through that's the one men usually worry about she's just selfish she's just withhold herself alright let me hear her side of the story because I bet you're the problem and most of the time, the sexual issues are the husband's issues, greed and selfishness, etc. So this wasn't meant to beat anybody up, but we have to think longer term so that our children walk into better marriages uh, than we do, that they walk better equipped the key for husbands is to be patient, to lift burdens. The key for women is to realize what your gifting is, and that is you are really the Swiss army knife. You are, you're the infinite coupling that can adjust to any situation and help uh, engage power from the engine to the, the rear suspension or the real drive shaft. Uh, we've got to be a team in this thing. And when both people are selfish, the marriage implodes. But when both people outserve each other and put each other first, the marriage prospers. If you're always demanding your own rights... You're going to fail. You've heard me tell you, Papa John rebuked me really hard. That's my dad. Papa John, back when I was 18, 19, I, I was going through my little college thing, my little attitude. And I, though they lived 80 miles away, I didn't like going home. And he was paying for college. Uh, I did work through college, but he, he paid for my college. And he, I remember he called me up and he chewed me out so hard one day. And he said, boy, and by the way, that's not a racial slur. No, to some people who've been taught it is, and your faith is in a word that is what I call my boy every day. You know why he called me boy? Because I'm his boy. (laughs) Just shows you how retarded faith can be. You put power where you hear there's power, though there be no power. So my dad called me up and said, boy, our relationship is like a bank account. You put money in, you take money out. You put money in, you take money out. You can keep taking money out, but unless you put money in, you're going to bankrupt it. And boy, because I was his boy. Remember that? Not because he's racist. I'm thankful he never taught me to be offended at anything. He wanted me to be successful. You can't be offended and successful simultaneously. Offense is a manifestation of unforgiveness. And the longer you harbor offense, the more offense eats like a uh, unforgiveness eats like a cancer. So you got an option in this little woke world we live in. Practice unforgiveness and watch God curse you. Or drop the charges and say, what do I care? It's nothing to me. Who are they? Why would I be offended at somebody I don't even know over something they didn't even do? All because I was trained by a bunch of demonized yahoos. Now, don't, don't walk in offense. That is That is practiced unforgiveness. And the Bible tells us many times, if you don't forgive, God can't forgive you. You're the problem, not whitey. You're the problem, not your professor. You're the problem, not some black guy somewhere. All right. So he said, boy, I seem to be the only one investing in this relationship, and you sure do seem to be the only one making withdrawals. And he said, and I'm done investing. And if you keep making withdrawals, you're going to bankrupt our relationship. That was his way of saying, get your B U T T to my house this weekend because I'm your daddy and I'm paying all the bills. Same way with a marriage. You both give in, you both take out. You both give in, you both take out. You both give in, you both take out. If you both just give, 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 you'd be surprised at how rich your marriage would become. Then you might come into agreement and say, can we make a withdrawal together? And enjoy what God's given you. But if you're socialist and welfare-minded and greedy and selfish, you'll just bankrupt what God's given you. The name of the game is both of you. Squirrel money away and see what you can save. And then buy something great for God and enjoy your life together. Amen?